The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I'm excited to get into the Word. I want to get into the Word this morning because I believe that we have uh, had a, a wonderful holiday recently. I don't know how many of you popped any fireworks over the 4th. Are we, are we firework people? It doesn't look like we're really firework people. I've kind of grown out of that. I've got better things to do than go out in my driveway and set my wallet on fire, which is basically what fireworks are, right? And then what I've learned is, like, I'll let my neighbor do it because they look just as cool, right? And, and then they don't cost you anything. So you can just sit out there and clap and cheer. Be like, there goes six bucks. Yep, that's it. That was a... That one was probably, that one's, that one's definitely $20, $30 right there. So I don't really get into the fireworks anymore. And my kids now, you know, I thought, well, I have kids, little boys, so they're going to get into it. And shh, they, they haven't yet. So don't ruin that for me. Because I remember what happened when I would pop fireworks. We would go buy fireworks. We'd work all summer. You know, it was a big deal for me. So we would go and we would go to the fireworks stand and we'd just clean them out. And then you always like had your, your this is my 4th of July stash right here, you know. So you pop all of those in front of parents and grandparents and uncles and everything, and you put on your show. But you really knew that was just like the tip of the iceberg, right? You look under the waves and you see the rest. Well, you had your real stash in the back there. That was for the firework fight after the fireworks show. And you'd go out there with all of your cousins and all of that, and you would, you know, shoot Roman candles at each other until somebody got hit. It was always fun in games until somebody gets hit, right? And then somebody gets hit, and it's like, well, you did it. No, you did it. No, that was not... And then, you know, then you had your leftovers from that. Now, for me, I mean, I was a little mischievous. I would sit in my room as a kid and turn my water guns into flamethrowers and things like that. And uh, I would take my leftover fireworks, and you'd just sit there, and you'd break them, and you'd take all the powder. And I remember making bombs with them and things like that. I was a devious little kid. So I know genetically I'm trying to prevent my children from having fireworks as long as we can. So we'll just go out and watch the neighbors in the meantime. But I love the holiday that we celebrate. I like the 4th of July. I mean, the only thing that I don't like about the 4th of July is the fact that it's probably 120 degrees most of the time, and it's a little miserable as far as temperature is concerned. But I want to talk a little bit about freedom and independence, the things that we celebrate. We're going to get into the words. Some of this may be a little bit repeated, but remember, repetition is important because it's repetition that makes revelation a reality for each one of us. So I want to talk about a few things here as we get into the Word. Uh, here's a few things that you're going to be able to find. Okay, if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write these things down. One, we're going to find out why Jesus came. I think that's an important thing for us to know. It's the purpose. It's the reason. I mean, we love that Jesus came. I love that Jesus came. I was a miserable drunk that hated my life and for some reason had selected the slowest way to destroy it. It's not very smart, is it? miserable. So I love the idea that Jesus came. I love the effect of his coming, but I think there's something that can really help us and equip us as believers if we know why he came. Because if we know why he came, the purpose for which he came, it can help us to live our lives and understand, hey, that is why Jesus came. That is why Jesus came. That's not why Jesus came. So I'm going to stay away from that. We're going to find out why Jesus came. That's an important thing. Another thing that we're going to find is what happens when we're born again. What happens when we're born again? Now, we think we have our minds wrapped around this, and we might. We really might. 
Some of us in this room may have a really solid understanding of this, but we're going to pursue this together so that we can have the same understanding of it. I think it's important for us to know what happens when we're born again. And you have to understand something in the scripture. You may not be familiar with the story, but this has been an issue from the very beginning. Really smart people have had a hard time with this. I mean, guys who were highly educated in the scripture, there's one man, a brilliant man, loved Jesus, followed Jesus, listened to Jesus, even supported the ministry and, and the, the expansion of Christianity following the crucifixion and the resurrection. This guy, though, was really a brilliant guy, but he had a hard time understanding what happens when someone's born again. So much so, he asked if he should enter back into his mother and come back out again. Just ridiculous stuff, right? So there's obviously something here that is a complex thing to understand with the natural mind. So what I want to do is turn to the Word of God and trust that God will reveal something to our spirits, what happens when we're born again, so we can celebrate that. And then a third thing that we're going to find is why Jesus is coming back. So why he came in the first place, what happens when we're born again, and why he's going to come back. I think these are things that if we can find these things in the Word today, we can be equipped to live our lives in a very victorious way. So why Jesus came, we're going to start with that. I think that's a good one. So if you're taking notes, you put a little star by this one, why Jesus came. It's that first thing we said we're going to find. Hebrews chapter 2. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, I think that's really important to see with your eyes and let it come off the page. Sometimes we read a passage, but when you turn there, you get a chance to glance over what comes before it and what comes after it. Maybe something moves in your heart and you decide, you know, I'm just going to mark that page. I'm going to read that one when I get home. Hebrews chapter 2. I want to read verses 14 and 15. Now remember why Jesus came is what we're going to find here. Jesus himself became flesh. That means he became the, the bodily form of Jesus Christ. The infant that would grow into the carpenter. That would be anointed to be the minister. All the while fulfilling every prophetic indication that God had anointed him to be the Messiah. Jesus himself became flesh. That, now that, that there, you can put a so that if you want. I like so that. So that gets my attention. Jesus became flesh so that. So that through death, he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. So Jesus became flesh so that by his death, by his crucifixion, and then ultimately the resurrection, he could render powerless the one who had the power of death, that's the devil. If you're looking for why Jesus became flesh, look no further than those few lines right there. Jesus became flesh so that he could take away the power of death from Satan. And we're going to continue reading because there's more. Jesus himself became flesh so that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. And, can you say and? Yeah, because like right about then you're thinking, well, it can't get much better than that. But wait, there's more. And, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Now, who are those? That's me and you. That's me and you. So Jesus became flesh so that he could take away the power of death from the devil and free us who 
through fear of death, were subject to slavery all of their lives. Now there's a couple of words there that stand out that I think we need to emphasize, that we need to look at. One is slavery. Slavery. Jesus makes no apology for the results of sin. He says the one that commits sin is a slave to sin. I've never known slavery in my natural life. I've known it through sin in my spiritual life. But all of my life, I've had the opportunity to make decisions and choices as to where I labored, where I worked, what was fruitful, what was unfruitful. But something happens when we become committed to sin. And I think it's proper that we use the word commit when we talk about sin. It's very, very rare, excuse me, that we do sin. Well, I did sin. But we commit sin. Because it is a commitment. Something happens. Slavery is introduced. And slavery is a nasty business. Because when slavery is introduced, all of your say, all of your will, all of your desires, all of your ability to control a situation or a circumstance is out the window. You no longer have any authority whatsoever. You're not in charge at all. Slavery is something that Jesus has come to set us free from. There's another word here that I think is an interesting word. When it, the Scripture speaks to us about slavery, when the Scripture, scripture excuse me, speaks to us about the slavery that results from sin, it identifies those who are subject to it as being subjects. Subject is the word. And until we understand that word, it's not going to really make a lot of sense to us. Now, much like I've always been able to pick and choose my vocation or my job, I've never known what it's like to be a subject because I was blessed to be born right here in the United States of America. That's where the fireworks would be going off right now and the band would play. They didn't show today, unfortunately. But it's more than just a patriotic statement. It's a truth. It's a reality. There are other places that I could have been born and not know what it's like to be a citizen but to fall into the definition of a subject. We're going to talk about those two things and their differences as we move forward. I want to give you a passage of Scripture before we step into those definitions. Galatians chapter 5. I want to look at verse 1. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1, it reads like this. It was for freedom that Jesus Christ set us free. Now, oftentimes that passage of Scripture is quoted to that point, and then it stops. But there's more to it. I want to read the entire Scripture because as we catch the entire Scripture, we can become aware of things that are going on in our lives right now. It was for freedom that Jesus Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm. Keep would mean continue. Don't stop. Keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. To keep standing firm would mean continue, don't quit. To become subject again would mean, well, you used to be subject to it, and then that subjection was lifted, but now it's back. You can't do anything again unless you've done it before. 
This call to freedom, this call that Jesus has called us to, to step into the liberty of the kingdom of God, is a wonderful privilege. That call comes with this urgent message to each one of us to continue standing as we should stand so that we don't become subject again to the yoke of slavery. I want to give a couple of definitions here really quick. Because as Jesus speaks to us through the Word, and He's talking about why He set us free, it's for freedom that Jesus set us free. I want to understand that Word. Now, I have a a love-hate relationship with the dictionary. If I had to choose a library for the purpose of growing in God, for the purpose of ministering, it would include a Bible, a concordance, and a dictionary. I think it's very important that we understand the words that we read. How can we understand the word if we don't understand the words that make up the word? So we turn to the dictionary and let's look up freedom. Let's find out what is freedom. If it is for freedom that Jesus Christ set me free, then what is that? Now this is where the dictionary is not very pleasant. So you go through the holy book of Webster's and you begin to flip through the pages, you get to the F section, and if you're like me, that required going A, B, C, D, E, F, yep, F. You look up the word freedom. Here's what it says. The state of being free. Is that helpful? Well, it's slightly helpful because it reveals to us that it's a state of being. That's a good thing. But if my goal is to understand what freedom is, I need to know that it's more than a state. I need to know what that state is. So then I've got to look up another word. I need to go from looking up freedom to looking up free. What does it mean to be free? So you move around in the dictionary and you come to free. Not to be held as a slave. And then here's the second definition. This is the one that I want to build on. Having the legal and political rights of a citizen. By the way, that's the freedom that we know in the United States. That's really what makes us free. Oftentimes people say that we're a democracy. That's not entirely true. We're a democratic republic. But the thing that gives us freedom, the reason why I could say this is a free country, is because being born here makes me a citizen. It means that I have rights, that I'm protected by the government that exists right here. When we become a slave to sin, we're subject to it. Now, I mentioned before, oftentimes we don't really reconcile what it means to be a subject because we haven't known that. But there are people all over the world who are referred to as subjects in the land that they live in. Subjects. Subjects, not citizens. You're not a subject of the United States of America. You're a citizen of the United States of America. Because you're a citizen of the United States of America, you have the rights that come with being a citizen. If you were to look up the word citizen, it would read like this. One entitled to the rights or privileges of a government or land. One who has the protection of a government entitled to them. That's what we have as citizens of the United States. But a subject is altogether different. A subject, can, they can live in a land but not have those rights, not have that protection. 
And you know, for a long time, I remember I was first born again, and I really didn't understand the difference between being a citizen or being a subject. And I was reading through the New Testament, and I'd gotten to where missions began, and evangelism began, and you saw men like Paul and Silas, and you saw them go into other places, foreign places, and begin to minister the gospel. And some things are recorded there. Some things historically are documented that don't seem like they're that big a deal, but they can help us understand how important it is to know the difference between being a citizen and being a subject. You'll see times where Paul is preaching the gospel and he's oppressed. And he has no rights whatsoever. He can be beaten like a dog. He can be tied up and thrown in prison without any trial. He's nobody. But then he stands and he says something. He says, hey, wait, don't you know I'm a citizen of Rome? And everybody all of a sudden gets really scared. Why would that change anything? The same guys that are beating on him. Why all of a sudden would they stop when he says that? Because all of a sudden now, people are aware he's entitled to protection. He's entitled to the things that this government represents. He's entitled to those things. Now, it might seem a bit scattered at this point, but I want you to dial in because we're going to go somewhere with this. When we come to a place where sin enters into our lives, if we open the door, we allow sin to come in. The scripture says we become subjects. We become subject to. We become subject to slavery, meaning no rights. No protection. Not even an identity as a person. Rather, we become objectified. A thing that can be beaten. A thing that can be harassed. A thing that can be abused. That describes my life before I was born again. I didn't have any rights. I didn't have any identity. But then Jesus did something for me, and he does something for us. I want you to take this down for your notes. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Then Jesus does something. Ephesians 2.19 At the will of God, Jesus does this wonderful thing for each one of us. You're no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. That's what Jesus did for me. I was no longer wandering about in a land with no rights. Wandering around with no identity. Wandering around with no authority to back my stability or my security. It may be a little off track, but how many of you have a passport? I mean, a few hands are going up. Have you ever read it? 
There's a little document in your passport that encourages any government to treat you as you should be treated as a United States citizen. That encouragement is a real polite way to put things. It's a diplomatic way. What it's basically saying is, it doesn't matter where this person is, we've got their back. They have rights. And we'll defend them. It's an amazing thing. But now Jesus, who sees us all wandering around as subjects, no rights, objectified, abusable, beatable, rejectable, comes and does this miraculous work at the will of the Father to see to it that we no longer live lives as lives our lives as subjects, but we become citizens, citizens of the kingdom of God, citizens on the earth that God Himself formed, citizens in His household. That concept would mean something. It would mean all of the sudden you've got rights. There's an entire government that backs you, that will defend you, that will come to your aid. There's an entire government that will vouch for you and identify that you have an identity. Now this is something that I feel like it's coming out maybe a little overdramatic, but I want you to know I'm really passionate about it. Because I believe with all of my heart if we can catch what that means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, it could ignite the fires of revival in each one of us. To come into an awareness that this change has happened. I want to tell you what this change is. I mentioned we're going to find out what happens when you're born again. We're going to find that out now. If you're taking notes, you can write this passage of Scripture down. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to read verses 13 and 14. What happens when we're born again? Now, I wished we would put this on tracts. My concern is the gospel with really good intentions to spread the gospel has been watered down to a point where the entire purpose of it is just missed. Where it's more about not getting in trouble than it is about what God has established. And I want to read to you what he has established. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. For he rescued us from the dominion. Dominion is a government word, by the way. From the dominion of darkness. He rescued us from the dominion of darkness and then He transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. New birth is about government. Government. The entire work of Jesus Christ, the entire work of the Father. By the way, as you read that in Colossians, that He, that He rescued us, He, that's God the Father. God the Father rescued us, delivering us from the domain of darkness where we were subjects, had no rights whatsoever, and then transferred us. What a wonderful word, transfer. Transfer. 
He moved us out of that and He moved us into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Where according to Ephesians, Jesus has made us citizens. Giving us every right of the kingdom of heaven. You know what's amazing is you see the rights of the kingdom of heaven revealed in the life of Jesus Christ. You have to read between the lines on occasion or maybe catch a little detail here and there because it's not written out in chapter form. This is how Jesus operated in His kingdom rights. But you can see it. As He's being persecuted, as He's being beaten, as as He's being mocked, as He's going to the cross, the Word says that He's aware He could have called on thousands of angels. Now here's where we have to wake up and smell the coffee. Is that because he's the Messiah? Is that because he's the Son of God? Or is that because he's a citizen in the kingdom of heaven? It's because he's a citizen. That same citizen right is yours and mine. As we've been transferred from the domain of darkness where we were subject with no rights whatsoever, transferred out of that into the kingdom of Jesus Christ where he made us citizens. And by definition, entitled us to the rights and privileges of that government. And we've got to see Christianity as a government. Now that can be a tough thing to preach in the United States, where we love to fly, don't tread on me on our flags. It can be an even harder thing to preach in Texas. Where we value our individual freedoms and liberties. But when I was born again, I became aware of something, and I'm becoming more and more aware of it every day. I have a king. I have a king, and that's what makes me a Christian. If I think that I'm a Christian without having a king, I fool myself. If you think you're a Christian without having a king, you fool yourself. And I believe there's thousands of people occupying churches all across America that would identify themselves as Christians but do not live their life by the counsel of a king. They don't respond to his instruction as if it carries any authority. They don't function and operate in their rights as citizens in the kingdom of heaven. But rather they become committed to an organization. Oftentimes, at the Righteous pursuit or the noble pursuit of morality and ethics with the desire maybe to escape judgment and damnation, sometimes even moved by things sentimental or even superstitious. But when I became a believer, I want to share with you what happened. The addiction and the bondage that I was subject to, that I had no rights Every time, I knew I was ruining my life and I hated it and I would weep and I would cry and I would go and take everything that was destroying my life and throw it out of my house and say no more. And the next day I would be right back. And then I would weep and I would cry and I would throw it out of my house no more. And the next day I would be back. All because I had no legal authority. I had no rights whatsoever. But then I was transferred out of that subjectivity into a place where I could actually function and operate with rights. 
where there was authority behind my actions. There was a government that backed my actions. There was an ability to function and operate beyond myself. And it was then that I could throw that stuff out of my house and say, I'm done. And it was over. Being born again is about a transfer of government. A transfer of government. As we read in Colossians, out of a domain of darkness and into light. You know, when we celebrate the 4th of July, I think it's an awesome holiday, but I don't know that we really understand it. Like many of our holidays, the further we get away from the actual event, the more it becomes a beer fest at the lake, right? Amen. Were you amening for the right reason? That's a, yeah, like beer fest, woo! Oh, sorry. But I want us to think for a moment about the 4th of July and what it is. You know, we don't call it Freedom Day. It's not Freedom Day. We call it Independence Day. It's not Freedom Day. 4th of July, 1776 is not the day the United States of America got its freedoms and liberties. It was the day a decision was made and documented. We call it Independence Day because of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Basically, there was an awareness, hey, the government that is over us right now is not offering us rights or protecting us. Rather, it's abusing us. We're subjects. We've become objectified in their sights. You can beat us like dogs, and there's no retribution. You can take from us, and there's no retribution. This government is abusive. And after careful and calculated consideration in meetings, a decision was made. We need to change governments. This isn't going to work. We've made attempt after attempt after attempt to make this work, and it's not working. And so they write a document. And it says, when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands that have connected them to another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes that impel them to the separation. Basically what it's saying is, when government becomes abusive and it's time to make a change, we need to be able to say why. We need to be able to tell people why we're doing this. And then it goes on to say, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. And that when any form of government should become destructive of these ends, it's the right of the people to alter or abolish it. And to institute in its place new government, laying its foundation on such form and organizing its powers in such a way as to them sees most likely to affect their security and happiness. 
That was Independence Day. A day when people decided we need a change in government. We're subjects, not citizens. And this is basically what God has given us in Jesus, is the opportunity to come to the place where we realize I've been objectified, abused, beaten down, rejected. I have zero identity. I'm a subject in this land. And I need a change of government. And I know for me, when it happened and where it happened, Travis County Jail, drunk as a skunk, sobered up enough to be sensitive to hear God and to have truth wash over my mind and become aware that my life is a wreck. And every day is further away from life. I want a change in government. And I remember the words that were said. I'll paraphrase them here. But it was, I'm ruining my life. I want you to have it. That was my declaration of independence. I'm ruining my life and I want you to have it. It's the same thing that the founding fathers wrote, just a little less eloquent. Hey, in the course of human events, it's become necessary for us to make this declaration. We're subjects being ruined, and we need a change of government. It's what happened to me, and then I became a believer. There was a change in government. All of a sudden, I was not calling the shots in my own life, but I had a king. A king. A king who would give his wonderful counsel. Not to make me a subject in his conquered land, but to make me a citizen within his kingdom. And that's the amazing part. That Jesus Christ in all of his righteousness would not be collecting subjects to serve him the rest of his days. But that Jesus Christ in all of his righteousness would be separating us from being subjects to darkness and releasing us to being citizens within his kingdom with all of the rights and all of the privileges of his authority. That's Christianity. But much like what we celebrate on the 4th of July, it starts with a declaration. A declaration of independence. A separation from the old and a surrender to the new. We've got to see the kingdom of God as a government. We've got to see Christianity as being an exchange of government. The being removed from the government of darkness and released into the kingdom of God. I want to give you a few passages of scripture as we begin to close. Daniel chapter 7 verse 14. You can read Daniel chapter 7 in your own time and you'll see a wonderful scene of heaven. Prior to these verses, you see the Ancient of Days described Jesus being presented before him. I don't think words can do it justice. I think the reality that it's a simple paragraph is because the writer knew there's no way I'm going to describe this and get it right. So let's just keep it simple. Behold, there's the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man being presented before him. The Father's being described. The throne ablaze with fire and all of these things. A sight that is unimaginable. 
And every attempt to describe it is going to come up short. But the point of this is not to paint an accurate picture of what's being seen, but to communicate accurately what's happening, what's going on. And during this parade and this presentation, something is happening that Daniel is privileged to witness so that he can record it and reveal it to us. That as the Son of Man is being presented before God the Father, something is being bestowed upon Him. Verse 14, And to Him, that's Jesus, was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and men of every tongue might serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. That's Christianity. I was moved out of a kingdom that's destined for destruction and established firmly in a kingdom that will never pass away. My being born again was an exchange of governments. Not just God's green light for a second chance that I could easily blow again. But to move me out of that dominion that abused, beat down, into a kingdom where I would be released as a citizen with the rights and the privileges of dwelling in his house, having Jesus as my king. You can write this down for your notes, Isaiah chapter 9. Now there's passages here that we're going to read today before we close, and they seem to come out once a year around Christmas. It shouldn't be that way. These should be foundational in our lives as believers. Chapter 9 Verses 6 and 7, for a child will be born to us, and a son will be given to us, and the government, can you say government? Yeah, government will rest upon his shoulders. That's the point. The government will rest upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And then I love verse 7. I mean, there's not a word in there that I wouldn't underline if I were you. But verse 7 deserves some special attention. In a society that can even despise the idea of government, this passage of Scripture needs to be understood with the perfection of our King. Never to abuse authority. Never to use the citizens within his kingdom for his own gain. Absolutely free from all corruption. You let your mind come into an awareness of his perfect, righteous, just authority. And verse 7 is an absolute celebration. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. That's meant to define our lives as Christians. Every day, Jesus is more and more in charge of my life. Every day, Jesus is more and more in charge of my life. Every day, Jesus is more and more in charge of my life. There's no increase to his government or peace in my life. I've been transferred from a domain of darkness where I had no rights, I had no protection. And I was moved into the kingdom that is righteous and just the kingdom of God, and granted full citizenship, given every right of protection. 
that Jesus prioritized the kingdom. I want to give you a few verses for your notes here as we begin to come to our final passage. Matthew 4.17, Jesus prioritized the kingdom of God. Matthew 4.17 reads like this, from that time, from that time is when Jesus began to preach, from that time Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 10, 7 and 8. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, Hey, as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And heal the sick and raise the dead and cleanse the lepers and cast out devils. Freely you received, freely you give. Freely you received what? Government. Luke 10, 9. Heal those who are sick and say to them, The kingdom of has come near to you. Matthew 12, 28, cast out demons by the Spirit of God because the kingdom of God has come upon you. Is that the audio of her Bible? I don't think I've ever had that happen before. Did you see a pattern there? I mean, seriously, as it concerns Jesus and Him delivering the Word. He is the Word. And as He's traveling around, revealing what's true, He's speaking and He's opening up His messages with the idea that we need to change our lives because the kingdom of God is here. That's what repent means, to turn back, to turn around, to change. Change what? Change governments. Hey, change governments because the kingdom of God's here. You don't have to be a subject to sin anymore. Change governments. Kingdom of God is here. Come under His leadership, His headship. Have a righteous king who's just that will grant you citizenship, rights, and protection in His house. Get rid of what is old where you're abused and beaten down with no one to defend you and be transformed and transferred into a kingdom which you have full citizenship rights. That is Christianity. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Change governments. Change governments. He opened up every one of his messages. Hey, change governments because there's a government worth changing to. Sounds political, doesn't it? It is. I want to tell you what your rights are in the kingdom of God. This is a personal belief. It's an opinion I'm going to Reveal that my opinion is founded upon the scripture. If you wish to wrangle over the interpretation, I'd be happy to talk with you. But I believe my kingdom rights are revealed. I believe they're revealed in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 14. The kingdom of God is discussed and it's compared and contrasted to physical things. And Paul reveals what the kingdom of God consists of. In Romans 14, 17, he says the kingdom of God consists of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You know when our founding fathers penned the Declaration of Independence? I don't think they sat around saying, hey, let's come up with something that sounds really cool. It's got to have a nice ring to it. So how about... We hold these truths to be self-evident, that men are created equal and they're endowed by God with certain unalienable rights. Somebody make up some unalienable rights that sound cool so this thing can just really have some zip to it. How about life? That's a good one. And liberty? And then the pursuit of um, uh, happiness. Yeah, write that down. That sounds good. That's not what they did. You want to know what they did? 
they realized, hey, being subjects here is ruining our lives. So write that down. It's stripping our liberties. Write that down. And it's hindering all of our pursuits of happiness and prosperity in this amazing land. Write that down. As you and I examine our lives, we ought to know our kingdom rights. That right to righteousness through Jesus Christ. To be free from the bondage and affliction of sin. All because of the wonderful atoning work of Jesus. To wash us clean so that we could host the Holy Ghost and fulfill what the Scripture says so that we can then be able to do the will of God. We have a right within the kingdom of God to peace. So that when the storms blow against us, when there's trial and tribulation, when there's difficulty, when there is attempts to bring about destruction or abuse, we can keep our cool. It's my right as a believer to have peace no matter what. It's my right. And joy in the Holy Ghost. I love that it doesn't just say joy, but joy in the Holy Ghost. I think that joy is a kingdom right, and I think that joy in the Holy Ghost is a kingdom right. I think you could, you could take one from the other and you'd still be in the same spot because joy is found in the presence of God, just like we sang earlier. I don't think you can have one without the other. I think you can say one without the other, but you're saying the same thing. You and I have rights. Within the kingdom of God, we have rights. Rights to know righteousness. I'm not in bondage to sin. I don't have to sin anymore. I don't have to. Can I choose to? Yes. Do I have to? No. I have rights to have peace. My house doesn't have to be filled with hell and fighting and conflict and destruction. Could I choose to have that? Yeah, I could. Do I have to? Nope. Don't have to. I have the right to joy in the Holy Spirit. Could I choose depression? Could I choose sorrow and affliction? Yeah, I could. But I don't have to. I've changed governments. I've changed governments. And where once I had no choice, I had no say. It was all sin and bondage. It was all anxiety and fear. It was all depression and misery. Now I've been lifted out of that. A change of governments with the declaration of independence and the establishment of a new government. A new government that has our best interest in mind and will never be abusive. I want to give you a closing passage here. I'm going to read two scriptures. One's what we're going to close with and the other is what we're going to call to prayer. I mentioned before, we're going to find out why Jesus is coming back. I'd like for you to write down a passage of Scripture, Revelation eleven fifteen. 15. You know, around Christmas time when we sing the hallelujah chorus, everybody stands. You know it, right? And he shall reign forever, forever. And then the ladies, and he shall reign forever, forever. Yes, that's where it comes from. That's it. And you know what? If I were the devil and I knew that that had been written, I would say, well, maybe I can just get them to sing it once a year. 
We ought to sing that song every week. That's why he's coming back. Right now, we've been given virtually a military operation to occupy this land, to take ground for the kingdom of God. But his return is to establish his rule forever and ever. He's equipped us and empowered us to do just like him, destroy the works of the devil, establish righteousness. We carry the ministry of reconciliation. We carry the message of the gospel, that good news. That good news is, hey, you can change because there's a better government, one that's not going to beat you down every day, one that's not going to deny you rights, one that will equip you with rights. And those rights include righteousness. You don't have to sin anymore. It includes peace. You don't have to be afraid anymore. And it includes joy. You can actually enjoy being alive. Love your life instead of hate it. By the way, loving your life is important. We're called to love our neighbor as ourself. I want to love my life. I want to value my life. And I can tell you before that transfer of government, I didn't. I hated it. He's coming back to rule and reign forevermore. Now then, here's the passage of Scripture I want to call us to prayer with. And I want to give you a chance to write it down, and then I'm going to ask you to stand up. So for your notes, you can write this down, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. Here's what it says. The kingdom of God doesn't consist or exist in words, but in power. It's not in words, but in power. Before we stand and before we minister this last part, I want to turn our minds toward a room in Philadelphia where the Declaration of Independence is being signed, where they've written down all of the atrocities of King George. And they walk through and they sign one by one. And then they sit. And I can just imagine it's just dead quiet. You know, it's probably hot and humid, still. Probably didn't have the windows open so that no British soldiers walking by would hear what they were saying. So it's probably stupid hot in there. And then it's just quiet. And everybody is aware of the same thing. That means absolutely nothing if we won't give our lives to back it up. It's just talk. It's just words. It is a declaration. So even though they probably felt like they had won the victory when they had the last signature on the paper, we did it. We did what? That's not where we stop. That's where we start. Because when that last signature hit the paper, when that declaration was made, when I decided, hey, I want a different government. I declare this. I'm ruining my life. I give it to you. That wasn't the end. That was the beginning of an all-out war. The moment they signed that document, it was the beginning of an all-out war. 
You want to know the last line in that document? I'd like to read it to you. And to support this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, that's God, we mutually pledge to each other. To who? To each other. To each other. That would be like us in here at Champions Church saying, hey, hey, we've made this declaration. We're going to accept this transfer of government. We're no longer going to be slaves with no rights. We're no longer subjects, but we're going to be moved from that into a kingdom where we are citizens. But let me tell you something, guys. We made that declaration, and it's going to mean all-out war. The moment that declaration is made, all hell's going to break loose. But I got news for you. If we can commit to each other, if we can devote to each other, if we can give to each other our lives and our fortune and our sacred honor, we can see this thing through. If we can be real with each other and confess our sins, if we can be givers and generous and not takers, listen, if we can serve one another, we can see this thing through all the way to the end. That's what they said in the end of that document. Knowing if this thing just stays words on paper, it's nothing. But if we can let something come alive in each one of us that says, you know what? We're devoted to one another to seeing to it that this comes to pass so that your sons aren't slaves, so that my sons aren't slaves, so that your house prospers, so that my house prospers, so that you grow and thrive in the full celebration of every one of your kingdom rights. And so that I do the same. It's a change of government. Though a declaration is necessary to start, if that's where we stop, it's all over. But if we can take a lesson from the founding fathers, if we can take a lesson from Jesus Christ, and realize this is going to cost us everything, but I promise you it's worth it. We can come to know something absolutely amazing. Citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. All the rights and privileges of being the children of God. And without sounding irreverent, I just want to tell you I'm ready for that. Not just for me, but for you. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.